What's going on everybody? It's Blandon here and welcome to our first ever Wealth HQ podcast. This is the First Home Accelerator, where we talk about first time and how we get you into a house faster because we do the deals every day to tell you what the bank may not tell you. This guy obviously haven't done a podcast before. Usually you just have one guy talking and then you introduce the other person. Madaf is one of our Mortgage Advisors, yes. Mortgage HQ, yep. which is a, I don't know why they always call it sister company. Could, could you call it brother company? But I would call it parent company. Okay, parent company or sister company or brother company, company. But hey, this is how we help our first home buyers. Wealth HQ really focus on that first home experience, mm-hmm. sort of walk people through, okay, step by step. Because we realized after you know being in business for six, seven years, there's a huge market that we can't help because- oh, yeah. You know, you've got this first home buyer when they're not ready, but the mortgage brokers don't really want to touch it because there's no deal there. And so we're like, okay, well, how do we actually or turn this opportunity into a business where we can help these people? Because, you know, seven out of 10 people are sort of in that position. 100%. So here it is. And this podcast, we're actually going over five things you should know before you get into your first home or before you buy that first house. So the very first question that most people have, it's usually to do with the borrowing. How much can I borrow? And some of the things that we're gonna also cover, it's gonna include which suburbs you could consider, what should you buy as a first home, uh, first home grants, what are the government incentives, and sort of how you can go about this process, what are the steps to actually get into it. So first question for you, Madav, since you've been writing so much loans recently and you're a great helper to our first home buyers and you've gone through that process yourself. Yeah. Uh, what are you seeing on your end um, and what are the criteria of borrowing? So when it comes to borrowing money, the bank looks at four things, income, expenses, and obviously your assets and your liabilities. The income and expenses is really you know, your net income per month that would come in from your job, PAYE income, or if you're self-employed. Your net income less your expenses. The interesting part is the expenses because we can all figure out what we get in our month, you know, monthly bank statement, how much money comes in. But the expenses is an interesting one. So as soon as I put into a bank calculator, two adults with one kid, there'll be ideally a preset expense that's there in the bank calculator. And then after that, they'll go into the account where your wages go and add up all the direct debits or automatic payments along with future automatic payments that would go out such as rates and property insurance. And then whatever is left over after that, provided you have no other outside debts, will be used to assess what you can borrow at a stress test of approximately 8.5%. That is the way borrowing works without looking into you know how much deposit you've got, ideally what you can borrow. And when it comes to the deposit, it's really black and white. If you've got a 20% deposit, then obviously you can go for an existing property and, and make things a lot easier because it meets reserve bank criteria. But when you fall in the five to 10% range, it can make things a little bit trickier and the bank will test those deals a lot harsher because think about it, the bank's got 90% of the money to lend you at that time. They hold the cards and you have to play the rules. And so like, let's say a typical couple mm-hmm. um, earning say combined 120K, yeah. no kids, what would the borrowing look like for someone like that? That's a very good question. So the, you know, there's a lot of factors that involve in that question that you know, you'd really need to present up front. What's their student loan? Is there a student loan? If there's not a student loan, what's their KiwiSaver deduction? Is it 3%, 6 Is there additional contributions going out of their pay? It's hard to say from the top of my head exactly what it would be. I can give you ballpark figures. Give us a ballpark. Give yeah. us a ballpark. Okay. So you've seen so many. 
120K, 130K income. 120K, 130K income. You're looking at a borrowing with no kids? No kids. No kids. Any personal loans? No. Any credit cards? No. Okay. So if you're looking at 120... Well, we'll probably close them. Let's just assume we might have some personal finance. We might have a credit card, but we'll close everything off just for this application to make it strong. At about 120K, you're looking at about 650k of borrowing now let's add some variables in there like let's say perhaps we do add a kid what would that look like yeah that's going to drop it to about you know then the question comes is there childcare for the kid provided there's no childcare, let's say the kid is six years old and um, there's no after school care or anything like that then you know we could be looking at the range of about 510 to 550 okay so perhaps. dramatically having those kids actually affect your your housing journey it's really important because when we talk to clients that are just coming onto this journey and family planning is something that we talk about because you really want to look at your repayments as if you already had a child if you're planning to have a kid between you know the next couple of years you really want to look at what the childcare expense would be if it's $1200 per month that's going to be your second biggest cost after the mortgage so what are you afforded what's your affordable post kid compared to what debt you take on now and where's the median can you get family to help out you know are you happy with that repayment figure at six and a half percent so those questions are quite important to ask yeah. so one of the hackers potentially you know the, if the grandparents are looking after the children you don't have this regular expense oh, you're blessed if you've up. got yeah if you can skip childcare. So that, that actually adds quite a bit of borrowing, doesn't it? Of course, because we don't have to deduct as much from your expenses. Often it's like a thousand to thousand five hundred a month, and that's depends. If yeah, hundred and fifty k sometimes. You can send your kids to the normal childcare to you know three days a week. Some people work from home, so they'll send a couple of days because they want their kids to get the social aspect. Or you can go for the high end, full time childcare at fifteen hundred to eighteen hundred a month, which is almost becoming a you know a repayment at that point. <laughs> Perhaps let's add another variable because uh, I know there's a difference between 10% deposit versus 20. So how does that affect this couple who's just, you know, the young couple buying a house, they, they're borrowing 600, 650 now. If they add a child, it's 500. Um, if they have 10% deposit opposed to 20, yeah. what's the difference there? With the 10% deposit, if you're buying a new build, there's not much of a difference, right? The bank is encouraged to lend money out on new properties because they've got direct instructions from the Reserve Bank, and that's not going to be an issue. Where there's going to be trouble, perhaps not trouble, but perhaps you know the bank testing you a bit more aggressively is on the fact that if you want to buy an existing house with 10% deposit, we both know that it's extremely tough and there's only some selected banks that that would look at that if they're looking at that they want to make sure after the income minus stress test expense test is done that there's at least 14 to 1500 dollars left over per month for an existing property there are other options if you're a couple that's earning below 150k which is the case in your example then we can look at a first home loan that's done through Westpac, SVS and Kiwi Bank. You'll still put your 10% deposit ahead. Pretty much, you know, they say 5%, but as much as you can give, it's better for you. You won't be charged with a low equity premium, which is a massive, was a massive thing because you save on the rate. And there's no $1,300 left over per month test that would be done. That criteria falls really well for, I'd say, the person who benefits the most from a first home loan would be a couple earning below $150,000 in the last 12 months and has been working that job for 12 months as well or more. What about in a 20% scenario? What would be the advantage or difference between that case? With a 20% deposit, obviously your repayment's going to be lower. That's a massive giveaway because you're putting more cash into the deal. The second thing is you get the special rates from the banks. 
Plus, you only need to be pass the test by $200 to $500 left over per month after they stress test you on everything. So that makes things a whole lot easier and you can borrow more money based on that. Ideally, the advice is to get 20%, but look, it's hard to get 20% to put your, get your foot in the door. 10% is ideally you know, where you should aim at. And then from there, um, seek your options. But if you're stubborn and you want the best deal, then 20% deposit. So essentially what I'm hearing between the 10% deposit and the 20% deposit is that if you've got a smaller deposit, you're riskier to the bank. You want to see a bit more income. Potentially they're going to penalize you slightly more in the interest rate as well, but it's not impossible. Oh, 100%. We do 10% deals all the time. Ideally, if you're someone that's looking to buy your first home and you're considering buying a new house, let's say you know you want your kids to grow up in a healthy, dry home, ideally. Getting your foot in the door with 10% deposit for a new build is extremely easy across any bank. But 10% deposit, if you're fixated on getting a property that's older, maybe you want a bit of land or a backyard for your kids, expect more red tape from the bank and be able to pass those tests. You know, that's yeah, ideally the giveaway. What about border income? Like, could you rent out a room? Like, how does that sort of work in the calculation if someone wants to actually utilize that? So for a first home loan, uh, we can use one border if you're buying a three bedroom house, obviously up to $180 per week with Westpac, which is you know normally the highest. Other banks, you can look at 150. If you're a single person, right, and you've got no kids and you've got a 10% deposit and let's say you don't want the first home loan, you're, you know, you're going for the normal sort of process, you're with the bank. Ideally, we can take a border case by case. So it's very case by case on the 10%. Um, outside of the first time loan, but with 20% deposit, we can take, you know, borders and it doesn't really make too much of a difference because your affordability looks already quite good with a 20% deposit, but it does help with the costs of owning a home, which but is important. I want to buy the home and income with the extra stream of income. That's even better. If you've got the level of deposit to get to the home and income, we can look at that again, case by case, have to know all the factors because no one is, it's not one loan product fits all. I guess the other thing is if you add a border, typically how much increase in borrowing would you get? That's a hard question to ask depending on which bank we go with. But if I had to give you something as a as an approximate sort of figure, adding another sort of 10000 to $15,000 uh, net on your servicing calculator can improve the position by 60 to 80K. Great. So the second question is, I think a lot of buyers need to know is about the first home grant. Correct. How does that work and sort of how does it apply? You really want to go on the website and do a test. There's a test that you can do on Kanga Oro's website. But what's the benefit? The benefit is basically get five grand for an existing house if you pass or 10 grand for a new build per person. Free money. Well, I don't know why no one would do it. Obviously, if you can get an extra five, 10 grand to put towards your loan, would you do it? I would. Yeah. I mean, if I'm buying a 600K, it's like a four, almost like how much? Well, if you're buying a 600k new build, which is hard to find, let's say 750k new build, right? And you and your partner get 20 grand, then obviously 20 divided by 75, you've got a large, well, not large, but you're reaching close to 35 to 40% of your deposit. It's more than 1%. Like you're 10%, getting, yeah. yeah. So that's like one tenth of your deposit that you need. Yeah, ideally. And it's it's really good. A lot of people don't know it, but obviously the clued on ones come prepared. They've passed the test. They've got the pre-approval for the first-time grant. First-time grant is very independent to mortgage advisors as well as the bank. That's an independent thing to do uh, for a client themselves. So it's another party that goes through Kianga Aura. So with the first home grants, I mean, you got free money. What else does the government try to push? Like, what are we getting as a first home buyer for first home grants? First home grant, obviously five grand for existing times two, 10 grand or 20 grand for a new build. Long story short, the government's pushing people who are buying their first home to buy a new build because there's so many more incentives. You know, depending on which bank, we can get a better rate from time to time. It's a lot easier in terms of testing criteria. And then thirdly, 
if it's new, you don't need to maintain it, right? But look, there's pros and cons for every person that's considering this. Because my understanding as well with the first home grant, with some of the banks, if they're a partner, they would allow you to not add a margin on the interest rate because of like normally if you have a smaller deposit, obviously riskier, bank's going to charge you more on the interest rate. But if you're on a first home grant, potentially there's a difference there in the interest rate? First home loan. First home loan. 100%. First home loan, you'll get the normal rates that someone with a 20% deposit would. That's the, that's the hack. That is a hack. It's a super key point of saving that you should really look at. One thing to note with the first home loan, right? It's very good and there's a lot of good stuff going for it. Expect the delay because if there's a product that's released with 5 to 10% deposit, a lot of attraction is going to come to that. Four, 5,000 applications might come in a day for the bank. And just remember the bank writes this and then Kian or writes this so have the expectation for a delay until you get a piece of paper in your hand don't put a finance offer on a house a conditional finance offer yeah that's good so like let's say if they want to get started to learn more about the first home grant first home loan where could they find more information Ideally, you should speak to a mortgage advisor because there's a lot available on a website. You could spend hours researching and contradicting information is out there, right? Information overload. Talk to a person for 30 minutes that does this. Madhava is too nice. You know why? Because he loves to be on the phone. So if you want to like know more, just ring this guy. (laughs) You know, for me, I'll be like, hey, go to the website first. (laughs) Yeah, go, go on a website, see what you need first and answer your own questions as much as you can. And then get those questions that you've answered yourself checked by someone who does it for a living. We like to help people who want to help themselves first. A hundred percent. That's just, yeah, the the mindset of someone who helps themselves is, is fabulous to work with. Yeah. So the third question I have for you here are the steps to getting into a property, especially, you know, in New Zealand. Like if you go, hey, what are the four to five key steps? What would you suggest? This is just someone who's planning a very yep. initial young stage. Okay. So up your KiwiSaver. It's a compounding tool. A lot of wealth, whether it's in property or in mutual funds or shares is made through compounding. And so is your deposit. Your deposit is a part of your wealth. To get that ahead, up your KiwiSaver and start, that would automatically start a savings habit uh, for you without you having to manually account for it. And you obviously can't touch it. So there's the discipline factor all done for you as well. The second thing I'd do is kill all debts. Um, essentially making a plan after you've upped the KiwiSaver to reduce or clear your debts because all of that is tested, income minus stress-tested expenses. Your debt is not spared that you have before the mortgage. It also get tested. Um, the third thing I would say is apply for or understand the first home grant and see how much money you can accumulate from government schemes that's out there. Number three, ideally, it's easier with a partner if you're in Auckland because it's really hard, even if you know, you're earning a good sort of salary to get into the Auckland market. So ideally, whether it's a friend, if it's a partner, or it's someone else, whether it's sister or brother, that can help you. Yeah, you got to get your foot in the door if that option is there because it will help with your serviceability. The fourth thing is to make a habit of what you can afford. Something that's quite interesting that's, that was used in affordability when I worked at the bank is if we add up the savings that they can make a week or a month or fortnight, whatever, plus the rent that they pay is ideally what they could afford for a first home loan. I think that's a, a super important thing for people to put in practice. Those are the key getaways. Yeah. Let's say, okay, I've done all that, but I've like, I just want to know what I need to do next. I'm, I feel like I'm ready. You need to talk to a mortgage advisor. Also, you know, what Madaf suggested with you guys, you could try to do everything yourself, but actually WealthHQ helps you through that whole process because you got to set your goal first, right? It's like, well, you know, you're taking action for, you, you don't know what for. You don't know what the target is, but... You don't have direction. You're just randomly going everywhere. 
Exactly. So Wildfate will help you with that. Just set that target. Okay, what are the things that we need to do? What are the big big pillars we need to focus on? And just getting that Kiwi Saver up, getting that budget correct. Even being properly insured. I mean, if you've got 150k deposit, right, which let's say is not including your Kiwi Saver, you have to protect that. Something happens, right? Like you know, dip you, into it. Yeah, you'll dip into it because you're not protected yourself. So being adequately insured is a big part of things and people who refrain or don't want to deal with insurances should talk to Wealth HQ. It doesn't hurt to know what you don't know. So as a first home buyers, where would you look? Like what kind of suburbs would you suggest to, to think about? Where are like, we, wait, which, which part of New Zealand? Are we looking at Auckland or? Maybe most affordable. Like, I mean, you've worked with a lot of buyers. We're not talking about the 200K household income, maybe perhaps like 120 to 150K. Where would you suggest in Auckland? Every area in Auckland is different. 20 kilometers down the road is, is a completely different field of purchase power. So areas, ideally, you know, there's parts of West Auckland which have become very much affordable now, parts of South Auckland, right? So we're talking suburban, well, if I'm being specific on suburbs, then, you know, Otahuhu is, is a spot that I think is very central and, you know, you may not agree with it, it's not everyone's cup of tea, but if you look at the location metrics, it's quite close still to many things. Because um, it's sort of the outskirt of Mount Wellington. Mount Wellington, 100%. back, I don't know, perhaps eight years ago, was no. 200-odd K. And no one like, wanted no, Mount Wellington. No one wanted then. that. Yeah. But now it's like the suburb because or it's close to buyer. Sylvia Park. It's got yeah. the train stations. New market. You know, it's just, yeah. yeah, it's easier. And then now, Orahu is just the next suburb. Exactly. So, Orahu is good. Papatoi is good. Areas of south are generally the ones that have taken a bit of a drop from their CV. Even areas in central and central west. Avondale, Sunnyvale, Newland, Titarangi, you know, affordable now to an extent. Areas in the North Shore, if you want to live on the other side of the bridge, Bayview, Glenfield, Birkdale, Beachhaven are easy to get into for a first home buyer at the seven to 800K mark right now. Whether you like the property is a different thing. If we're just talking, you know, ideally about the numbers here, then th those are good figures. I think there's more suburbs than there were before to buy into right now. Does it matter like if you are buying a home that is two bedroom first versus three bedrooms, four bedroom, like are there difference in terms of like, you know, would you go for different suburbs if you're looking for bigger houses or? Yeah, that's often something that crosses everyone's mind. Like you have to be wary of your situation, right? Like if you want to live a certain lifestyle and you don't want to pay a certain amount for a debt, then you need to be okay with your lifestyle and you need to buy a two bedroom unit and then upgrade when the time is right. But if you're hell bent on buying a house that's going to grow in capital gains, then you need to make some sacrifices and, and, you know, cut back on a lot of things and to be able to service that debt and, you know, hope that the capital gains pick up, which they will if they're, you know, if it's in the right cycle. And then the third thing is if you're family planning, well, then, you know, two bedroom might not cut it or even, you know, you need some space. And then if you want to go on the outskirts, but you can work remote, go for it. Like everyone is in a different and, you know, everyone's situation is so different in these days. It has to be what you want for yourself. My last question is very simple. What would you buy as a first home if you could do it again? What like I was on 55K when I bought my actually 50K and my wife was on 55K at the time when we bought our first home. So maybe I'm that couple. You know, like with inflation, maybe down 60K now, what would you potentially suggest that they could it's a, buy? It's a hard one, right? When I look back and, you know, being on a 52K and a, and a 60K salary, if the interest rates are low, right, then you're tested on a really low test rate. So, you know, 110 or 120K could get you or buy you 720, 800K worth of debt. When I bought my first property, 
like interest rate was five and a half percent. Five point eight was like two year rate. You know, so it's not too far from where it is no, now. No, it's not. It's not. I would say depends, right? Your question has a, a lot more holes in it that we could we could go well, down. How about this? Instead of thinking maybe for another couple, like let's say if you could go back to that journey and go, you know what? Same approval. What would you buy now? <laughs> in this market making sure the land is super flat <laughs> that's one thing so you would want to buy something with land something with land something that's flat 600 squares ideally and look at the land and the zoning to be in mixed housing urban or so suburban let's unpack this what is this uh un mixed housing urban suburban what, what is well, there's, that there's four there's four types of sections or, or, or land really titles titles that you want to dive into right there's mixed housing suburban there's urban there's um, oh this is this is the planning rules that you're talking planning about rules, yeah. so what does that mean though what, well, what can you do obviously if your house can build 20 apartments versus six townhouses versus two houses that are single level or double level it shapes your thinking as to what would give you the most capital gain or return on your land right i obviously know a lot more in this than you know someone else might you know that's just because i i'm in the i'm in the field i would buy something that is not as attractive or sexy to put it in in, in um, layman's terms i would make sure i buy something that is flat 600 squares plus and in mixed housing urban for a minimum at the 800k purchase price so essentially you're looking for something that has much more better long-term prospect yeah. than maybe That's the not nice my home just because i get a 30-year mortgage doesn't mean i'm staying there for 30 years and i think a lot of people miss that because when i deal with people that are upgrading their homes which has been such a common deal to do now it's amazing on how people upsize and you know nine out of ten people listening to this will be thinking well we just get more debt no you could get lesser debt if your house has made decent gains in that field and then you can either move a bit more out and have lower debt if that's what you want or if you have increased income now and your property's gained in value well leverage on your income if you don't have kids or responsibilities just yet and get more to the central suburbs you know people go from mount wellington to st Helier's all the time or people go from living in south auckland to buying you know sort of central only hunger all the time it's just you know what are your goals and what do you want to do that would make you feel good because if you keep comparing then you know, you're not going to have a good time that's awesome and i guess maybe practically speaking how could you go about you know buying something that is potentially have more long-term value like how you how are you going to know all this as a first home buyer it's really hard you need to talk to a talk to someone that's looking at deals all the time you know mortgage advisors are a great source um, you can do your own research there's a lot of great people that give tremendous amount of value for free out there but you don't want to feel confused with a lot of information as well just remember your your key things that you're looking for uh, long-term value three practical things that they can look at or look, look up where would you suggest in terms of the house learning about properties learning about properties I would say one is having the right team so having the right mortgage advisor uh, looking at things like QV and looking at data historical data what suburbs performing at what level getting subscribed to core logic newsletters or reports you know those are very important things just to get an idea of the property market and then you want to understand mortgage structures as well what is a revolving credit how do I pay it off faster that sort of thing is very important and then um, look I could dive into a whole lot of stuff that might confuse people uh, but the first step is getting a house under contract that you are comfortable with and you believe is a good choice for your deposit I think um, the most sensible step is just uh, ring you away well <laughs> don't ring him email book, book, him book 
<laughs> booking a time with with an advisor to just have a chat bring the questions to the table there's probably so many things in my brain that i haven't spoken about on this podcast but if you ask the right questions or if there's something you're curious about it's going to trigger my brain to give you that answer straight away so perfect yeah bring it to the table so that wraps up our first ever podcast hopefully you have found some useful information and tips in there and we will see you in the next episode but if you guys want to get in touch you can go to whq.co.nz that's our wealth hq um, and then mhq.co.nz is our mortgage company and then if you want to learn more you can just jump on youtube obviously we've got two channels now wealth hq and mortgage hq and then i think there are a lot of podcasts out there that's definitely worth listening to as well so until next time i'll see you guys again thank you guys